You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 239. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I'm a fiduciary, a fee-only certified financial planner, educator, and wealth advisor. And today's episode is, should I be internationally diversified in my IRA, 401k, investment account, etc. But before we get to the topic of the day, first I want to thank you if you're a long-time listener and thank you if you are a first-time listener. We really, really appreciate you tuning in to this show. And if you like what you hear, please go to the Purple iTunes podcast app and leave Best in Wealth a review or wherever you get your podcast. Now, last week during my intro, I told a cute little story about this diet program I was on, and I could only get this on the scale one time at the beginning of the month, and then not again until the end of the month, because there's the reason is there's a lot of fluctuation in between, and that's why this particular diet I'm on doesn't want you getting on that scale every day. And then I did a podcast about how maybe some of you shouldn't be looking at your investments every day. And at the end of the podcast, when the music was rolling, I was supposed to tie those two together, but I don't think I did. So today, you know what? How I'm going to fix it? I'm just not going to tell any cute story at all. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Should I be internationally diversified in my retirement accounts, investment accounts, etc.? If you opened up your 401k statement right now, chances are, chances are you have some of your investments that are international. You're investing in companies outside of the United States. If you're in a target date fund, you almost certainly have investments in companies located outside of the United States, probably using mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, getting a diversified portfolio of these companies outside of the U.S. It may be developed markets. It might be emerging markets. And chances are they are on reliable stock exchanges. If you picking your own investments, chances are you have some international. Now, some people like to time when some countries are doing better than other countries. So they may have some money today in one country, but tomorrow they're moving that to another country or sometimes have all of their money in the U.S. and sometimes are internationally diversified in a group of countries. But what about you? Should you 
own companies outside of the U.S. Because let's face it, (laughs) especially emerging markets, developing countries, have not moved very much in the last 10 years. That's quite a long time. And the U.S. has had quite a run, particularly the S&P 500. So you may ask yourself, why in the heck am I invested internationally? Why would I do that if the U.S. on average has been doing better the last 10 years? Those are very good questions to ask, especially questions that need to be asked as you're building out your investment policy statement or as your advisor, your certified financial planner, your fee-only certified financial planner is working on your investment policy statement. We all should have an investment policy statement. And we believe here at Fortress Planning Group and on the Best in Wealth podcast that it's important to be internationally diversified. But why? They haven't done very good. Great question. And sometimes I talk to clients about not thinking about other countries, but just thinking about other companies. For example, ask yourself, what kind of car do I drive? Now, you might drive a GM or a Ford or a Tesla. And if you do that, these companies are based in the US. And chances are, if you invest in a wide diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, you probably own all three of these companies. But you might not drive a GM, a Ford, or a Tesla. You may drive a BMW. If you do, good for you. Great. Or a Mercedes, or a Volkswagen, or a Porsche. All of these cars are owned by a German company. What about Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge? Although some of these may be made in the U.S., the companies that make the cars are located in Italy. Jaguar and Land Rovers in India, Toyota, Honda, Subaru, Nissan, and Mazda in Japan, and Hyundai and Kia in Korea. So, As we may not even realize what other companies are out there other than the U.S., we certainly see these cars driving around as we're commuting to and from work or our jobs or college or wherever. We know these cars. It turns out most of them are owned by companies outside of the United States. There are many outstanding companies located outside of the U.S. And a lot of these companies still make stuff in the U.S., but the company is located outside of the United States. And if you want to invest in that company, you need to invest internationally. One of the big reasons why we like to invest internationally is it creates a more diversified portfolio. Because if you've been listening to this podcast for a long period of time, you will know that we don't try and time companies, we don't try and time sectors, we don't try and time countries, we don't try and time international versus U.S. We want a wide, diversified portfolio at a risk level that we know we can stick with through the good times and the bad times and making sure that it fits within our retirement plan. That is our investment policy statement. Because as I'll share with you in a little bit, extreme outcomes in your portfolios don't necessarily lead to more money. In fact, 
a lot of times they don't. I'll get into that a little bit later. But when we have a really, really diversified portfolio, we are setting ourselves up for a greater chance for less big swings in our portfolio. And by big swings, we're cool with the big ups, but we're not cool with the big downs. So the more asset classes that we can add to our portfolio, including international developed and international developing markets, well, now we're smoothing out the ride because we know using modern portfolio theory that extreme outcomes don't necessarily lead to more money. In a lot of cases, it does not. All right, Scott, great. But when I'm looking at my investments in my 401k, I usually see returns of one year, maybe three year, five year, and 10 year. And I'm seeing these US funds doing a lot better than these international funds that I have available to me within my 401k plan. And you might be right for some of them looking back 10 years, especially when you're looking at large growth US companies. But let's take just a little walk through history and see how the U.S. has ranked compared to other countries in these given periods of time that I'm about to lay out. Also, I'm using the top reliable 45 countries with reliable stock exchanges as part of this walk down memory lane, if that's what you want to call it. So let's take a a real recent walk. What about the fourth quarter? Where did the U.S. rank out of the 45 countries Well, they weren't number one because the number one country in the fourth quarter that produced the best returns was Poland. And the number 45 was Turkey. Very extreme outcomes between the two of them. In the US, they ranked 20, about middle of the pack. What about the full calendar year of 2023? Well, the two top countries, Hungary, Poland, and even Greece, They were up over 50% this year. The S&P 500 was up 26%, and the U.S. ranked 13th. Not bad. Better than the halfway point, but not near as good as those top few countries. And last, by the way, for the year 2023, Thailand and Hong Kong. Those stock exchanges did not fare very well. Now, all these numbers I'm giving you, I'm not really giving you numbers, but These are not investments that you can invest in. You'd have to invest in a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund to get gain access, or at least for most of us, to gain access and exposure to some of these countries. But you can look for exchange-traded funds and invest in any country that you wish. All right, so 2023, U.S. 13th, pretty good. Let's look at the last decade. And what I mean by that is 2010 through 2020, I mentioned a few minutes ago that the U.S. did really, really well compared to an internationally diversified portfolio. Looking at that most recent decade that we just completed at the end of 2019. And during that decade, the number one country was New Zealand. It was not the U.S. However, U.S. was ranked number two during the decade of 2010 through the end of 2019, just using the indices that track each of these countries. Number two, that is awesome. That is fantastic. The last on the list was Portugal, 
during that decade. So let's talk about this for a little bit. U.S. number two during that decade. Number one, we all suffer from recency bias, so we can't see beyond yesterday or beyond a couple of years ago, where it seems as though, man, it's all in the U.S. now. That's where all the returns are coming from, and they're not coming from other countries. And I'm about to point out that, hey, you might be right during that decade, but wrong in a lot of other potential decades. But when we design portfolios, and I think you'll find in a lot of target date retirement funds, we don't invest half in the U.S., in half in other countries. And if we look at just the market cap of the whole world, the U.S. represents 60% of the total world market cap, with the other 40% going to all of the other countries. So the U.S. has most of those companies that we want to be in. They are located in the U.S. When we design portfolios here at Fortress, We even take more of what we call a home bias because if we had a balanced portfolio and we had an all-stock portfolio, 60% of your money would be in the U.S. and 40% prorated to these other countries. But we take a home bias approach. A lot of target date retirement funds do as well. So we like to see at least 70% of our portfolio of companies in the U.S. with the 30 Around the world. That's what we call a home bias. Now, that doesn't mean that that answer is right for your portfolio. Certainly, work with your certified financial planner or analyst to get the investment policy statement that fits your risk tolerance and your needs. So, going back to the decade of 2010 to 2020, heck, US was number two. That's awesome. That's where 70% of my money is. Yes, we should celebrate even in an internationally diversified portfolio. Let's go back the decade before that, though, 2000 to 2009. I mean, shoot, that wasn't that long ago. And as a reminder, during the decade of 2000, January 1st, 2000 to December 31st, 2009, whoa, it was not easy times in the U.S. It was not easy times in a lot of countries. We started the decade with the dot-com bubble, That did not help our portfolios at all. And then we ended up late 2007 into early 2009 with the Great Recession. It was a tough, tough decade. A lot of people called this the lost decade for the U.S. Why? Because just looking at the S&P 500, if you started the decade with a million dollars, you ended the decade with $900,000. Not good. That's S&P 500. Not good at all. In fact, my guess is if your investment policy statement was, I'm going to buy an index fund that tries to replicate the S&P 500, and I ended up with $100,000 less than I started after a decade, you probably would have fired your financial advisor, changed everything around, because that's not a diversified portfolio. Man, that's all out scary. But it didn't need to be a lost decade for your portfolio. The number one country or let's the top two countries during that decade, Brazil and the Czech Republic. At the bottom, Greece, Finland, Japan, and the number 41st ranked country, the United States. Yes, almost at the all-out bottom during that decade. If you would have had a diversified portfolio 
of stocks that included enough of a percentage internationally, you wouldn't have had a lost decade. It wouldn't have been this killer decade, but at the same time, you'd have had a positive outcome from your investments rather than a loss of on average 1% per year during the decade. It didn't need to be a lost decade for your portfolio because incidentally, within the US, a lot of other asset classes did way better than that S&P 500 as well. Value, small companies had a really, really good positive experience compared to the S&P 500 and compared to a lot of other countries. In fact, if I go back the last five full decades, a diversified portfolio with international stocks and the US, three out of the five decades, your experience would have been better than if you would have just had all of your money in the US. As family stewards, we can't afford to get concentrated in one company, one sector, or one country because we're ignoring what modern portfolio theory teaches us about diversification and how that is smart. That's the family steward move to make is to be diversified. And do not think that you can start timing when to invest outside of the U.S., when to pull all of that back, try to time the countries because that is a loser's game as well. That's why I always go back to your investment policy statement. Find a mix that you can stick with and that fits within your plan and then be disciplined and let your advisor do the strategic rebalancing, the tax loss harvesting, the Roth conversions, all of those things that you can actually control, turnover, expenses, etc. Because the other really cool thing about being internationally diversified is now you also have what's called currency diversification, meaning that part of your return internationally depends on what that conversion rate is back to U.S. dollars. So when the U.S. dollar is weak, you actually might see a nice bump in those returns. And vice versa, when the U.S. currency is strong, you might not get what you think, all of what you think that you might deserve. But look what we just found. Currency diversification, another way to smooth out our ride. And finally, we don't know exactly where the U.S. is headed in the next decade or two decades either. They certainly seem to be a powerhouse right now. I mean, if you think about it from a world market cap perspective, currently the U.S. represents 59% I round up to 60 of the total market cap of the U.S. I explained that to you 10 minutes ago. But you know what? In 1990, the U.S. did not have the majority of the market cap. It was not the number one country with market cap. The number one country in 1990 was Japan. The U.S. with and Japan with 40% of the world market cap. The U.S. had 30%. What's happened since 1990? Japan took a big dip. The U.S. doubled in market cap. But that doesn't mean that the U.S. is going to keep doubling in market cap. We don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years. So as a family steward, why would we not be internationally diversified?
as I mentioned several times in this podcast already, as family stewards, we need to be diversified because all of the data tells us to be, and that includes being diversified internationally. Because we know that we are the stewards of our money for our family. So we can't take these big risks and being concentrated too much in one company, too much in one sector, too much in one country. And I'll give you an example. I told you earlier that extreme outcomes don't necessarily lead to more money. Why do I keep saying that? Well, let's just look at and pick on for a second Tesla. I don't have any problem with Tesla. I don't drive a Tesla. I have clients that do all good. Tesla was up, and I'm rounding here, approximately 102% in 2023. Sounds like an amazing return, doubling your money if you put all of your money in Tesla on January 1st, 2023. But guess what? My guess is most people didn't put all of their money in Tesla January 1st, 2023. They probably, If you own Tesla by itself, you probably have had it for quite a number of years. But if we just take that back one year previously, Tesla was down 65%. 65%. And you think, well, Scott, if I average these two numbers together, this 102 and this negative 65, it's still not a bad result considering the S&P 500 was down 18.5% in 2022 and up 26% in 2023. But let's do the math, family steward. If you have a million dollars on January 1st and all your money is in Tesla, that's January 1st, 2022, your million goes down to 350,000. And then if you got another 102% in 2023, guess what? You're not even back up to even. You are at $700,000 and still have a lot of makeup to do. Extreme outcomes do not mean more money for you. Let's have an awesome weekend, and I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the U.S. Securities and Exchange in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer under personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial tax investment or legal advice.